It's summer, huh? Seems like it. Yeah, we're into it. It's good. I heard the mosquitoes were out at the lion's den. So a little warning if you're headed that way. So um, it's good. So I am going to begin right off the bat by reading to you a couple of verses out of Acts chapter 2. Excuse me. This is Acts 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost, and I'm singing so much I'm losing my voice. Excuse me. Yeah, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, we were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Can you imagine that, if you were there? Uh, There are 120 people together in one room. You know, not too different from us right here. They were praying, they were waiting, they, they were expecting something, but, but they weren't really sure what they were expecting. They didn't know what was supposed to happen. And then suddenly, this sound fills the whole house, it says. A sound like a violent, rushing wind. You know, the roar of a hurricane, the roar of a tornado. I mean, it had to be a bit alarming, don't you think? Just suddenly out of nowhere, this sound fills the house. Well, Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that the sound came from heaven. That's a little phrase I've usually just read without thinking about all that much. But listen to what Luke is telling us. He's saying this sound, like a violent rushing wind, originated in heaven. It originated in God's realm and crossed over into our realm. So heaven clearly is not some faraway place totally removed from us. Heaven, God's realm, God's dimension, you could say, is all around us. We just can't see it, right? And there's interaction, there's interplay between God's realm and our realm. We're not separated from each other totally. So if that sound, like a violent rushing wind, could cross over from heaven to earth, do you think maybe it works the other way around too? (laughs) When we pray or when we sing songs of worship, our voices cross over into heaven and they join with the voices of myriads and myriads of the, the saints who've gone before us, the angels, the archangels, the seraphim, the cherubim. Our voices join with theirs in this thunderous roar of glory and praise and honor to God. That's what's going on when we gather to worship. We're entering into the sounds of heaven. Heaven and earth merge just a little bit. You want to try it? Sing this after me. Holy, holy, holy. Should we do it again? Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Sing it with all you got. Holy, holy, holy. 
heaven and earth coming together, right? Wow. That's what happens when we worship. So for the past uh, year and a half or so, <clears throat> the wind of the Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit has been blowing through our world. Not in exactly the same way it did back in Acts 2, but just as surely and just as powerfully. You know, there is a lot of talk these days and quite a bit of hand-wringing about how everything is changing, how the world is changing, and it's changing so quickly and it's changing so dramatically these days. And so the church is changing, uh, and it must change to keep up with all the ways that the world is changing, and that is all certainly true. But I know three things that have not changed. The three foundational truths that come out of Acts 1 that, that shape everything. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, first of all, right? That hasn't changed. Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven from where he rules over all things as Lord and King. And Jesus Christ has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit so that we can join the King in his work. Amen? See, the wind of the Spirit has been blowing to wake us up to these unchanged realities, to declutter our lives so that we can hear better and live in these unchanged realities, more aware of heaven breaking in all around us. So we're spending this month fasting and praying to hear what God wants to say to us now. You know, we're fasting on Tuesdays. Uh, we're inviting everybody to join in with us in any way that you can. Uh, we're gathering to pray at 6.30 Tuesday evenings, both here at the church and online. And again, you're welcome to come to either of those. If praying out loud, that idea freaks you out, it's okay, just come and listen, right? That's, perfect. That's valuable. Pray silently, that's okay. Um, and we're reading the book of Acts together too. A lot of us are doing it through the YouVersion Bible app and you can jump into that at any time or just read it on your own, but we're reading the book of Acts together. And today we're gonna continue teaching through the book of Acts in this sermon series we're called Invested. So um, should we pray? So come Holy Spirit, make these words life to us. Um, may they... Uh, Come into our minds and fill our hearts and shape our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So starting again uh, at verse 1. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I was talking to one of my uh, neighbors, uh, this is a while back. Uh, he was someone who grew up going to church, but now is not. And he told me, as if this is something that is obviously true and everybody knows it, that the purpose of church, the purpose of, of religion, is to get us to follow the rules and be good people. Well, that is a widely held misconception. 
it's an untruth that I think many of us, uh, maybe all of us to some degree, at least partially believe or struggle with. And it's an easy untruth to embrace because, it, because obviously how we live does matter a lot, right? It really matters. Sin, both personal moral sin and large-scale corporate sin like racism and injustice, the sin produces all kinds of destructive chaos in our lives and in our world. But believing God's goal for us is our morality is rooted in believing that God's pleasure in me, maybe even his love for me, is dependent upon my behavior, my thoughts, my actions. And it's also rooted in believing that I am capable of making my thoughts and actions line up with what God wants in my own strength. You know, if I just try hard enough. Well, that belief reflects the lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve back in Eden, or in, in uh, yeah, the Garden of Eden, that, you know, God isn't really for you. He just wants something from you. Now, you can't really uh, trust him or depend on him or expect anything from him unless you somehow earn or deserve it. So you have to take control of your life and do what seems right to you. But God's goal for us, his goal for you, is not your morality, however you define that. That's actually far too limited a goal. Morality is what the Bible calls fruit in our life, right? It's what emerges from us through the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we embrace the real goal that Jesus has for us. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. From chapter 1 of Acts, we know that there were about 120 people there, and we know what they were doing. They were waiting. They were praying. Probably some of the time they were singing songs of worship. They weren't taking control of things, mapping out plans for what to do next. They were waiting and praying and worshiping. Isaiah 64.4 says, God works for those who wait. God works for those who wait for him. <laughs> you know, so often what I want to do, my personality, I want to jump ahead, take control, start working, fix whatever's wrong, start planning, start doing things to accomplish God's plans and God's goals, right? Any of you like me? Yeah, some of us, Yeah. But that's actually a version of that moralistic thinking that it's up to me to figure out what God wants and then make it happen. But God works for those who wait for him. And so those 120 people, those 120 men and women were waiting, they were praying, they were worshiping, the sound of their voices crossed over into heaven. It joined into all that worship going on in heaven. You know, and when you do that, it's not like that makes God do something, right? It's not like we manipulate him with our praise in order to get God to do what we want. But it does position us 
you know, it opens us to receive what God already longs to do for us. Fasting works that way too, by the way, right? We're not trying to get God to do something or get his attention as if he's not paying attention to us by fasting. It's like, God, I really, really need this, so I'm going to fast. No, no, we are, we are positioning ourselves to be open to what he already wants to do. And so as these 120 people waited and prayed and worshipped, the sound of heaven, you know, the sound of a violent rushing wind broke into their world. The Holy Spirit, God himself, was poured out into each one of them, filling them. Heaven and earth merged in them. New creation took root in them as the presence of God filled them. So what's God's goal for us? What is his goal? Well, Jesus said in John 17 that it's for us to become one as he and the Father are one. For each of us to be one with God and all of us to be one with each other. That's what the new creation is really all about. Heaven and earth merging, becoming one. All of us together being drawn up into oneness with God. Jesus' goal is that we would be one. What does that even mean? (laughs) You know, what does it look like? That could be a whole sermon series, couldn't it? It really could. But marriage is meant to give us a picture of it. Did you know that? It's one of the purposes of marriage. In two weeks, Lisa and I will have been married for 42 years. Can you believe it? Woo! And in many ways, we have become one. Uh, You could say we know each other pretty well at this point. Uh, We trust each other. We understand what each other needs. Uh, We're both committed to each other for each other's good even at our own expense, something I often say at weddings, um, defining love. We have in so many ways become one, and we continue to grow in that. We're all that oneness never stops growing. And our relationship, or any marriage relationship, though, is just a taste, just a, a slice, a sampling of the kind of oneness with God that we will one day enjoy completely. That's where God's taking us. That's what he's leading us to. And in the meantime, we're invited to grow in that oneness with Jesus, you know, where we know him and trust him, where we talk to him and listen to him, where we depend on him, where we know that he is absolutely committed to our good all of the time, And so we allow him to lead us and shape us into the people that we long to be. Amen? And we grow in that together as a community. As we grow in that together as a community, we become more and more one with each other. We travel that road together, and it's like as you move toward that point of the triangle, you could say we become more one too. See, that's what Jesus is going to be doing in us this summer, I believe. 
That's the work he's doing in us right now. As we journey through Acts together, that's the work he's doing. As we fast and pray and have potlucks and family movie nights together, as we worship together on Sunday, uh, whether you're here in person or joining online, either way, what we're doing is we are waiting for God. Our voices are, are crossing over into heaven. We're joining into the worship of heaven so that as we wait, we are open and available and receptive to all that God wants to pour into us so that we might become more and more one with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one with each other. God wants his new creation to grow in you. He wants it to grow in, in each of you. He wants it to grow in all of us together because Jesus' goal is that we would be one. Do you see that that is a much bigger and better goal than just being a good person? <laughs> much, much bigger and better. It's a much greater goal than the goals that are so easy to adopt these days uh, also of, of my own individual freedom and happiness. That's a pretty common goal out there. You know, like that I should be free to pursue whatever it is I think it is that will make me the most happy. That's always a losing proposition. Because then whatever it is that I think will satisfy me, whether that's more stuff or more money or a new relationship or the next adventure, whatever it is, it never ends up being enough. It's always disappointing because there's always something more out there to go after because we were created to be one with the infinite God of the universe. That's the only thing that will satisfy that hunger. We were created to be one with God. That kind of oneness really is the deepest desire of our heart. And there's no way we could ever achieve it on our own. That's the dilemma, right? But God loves us so much that he came as Jesus. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit to fulfill the longing of our heart and his heart, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That's Jesus' goal, that we would be one. And you can see that goal of Jesus being worked out throughout the rest of this chapter. Uh, verses 5 to 6 say this, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. You know, back in Genesis 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And it describes how a group of people wanted to build a tower to reach up to heaven. In other words, rather than just trust and depend on God in his goodness and grace to meet them where they were, rather than wait for him, they adopted that goal of morality, of trying to take control and make their own way up to God. But that never works. In fact, it prevents real oneness with God and with each other. So God scattered them by confusing their language, causing them to speak in all different languages so that they couldn't understand each other. 
Well, here at Pentecost, God is reversing that. It's really cool. You know, rather than the disciples trying to build a tower to climb up to God, God came down to them as they waited for him. At Babel, God confused and scattered everyone by giving them different languages so that no one could understand what was being said. At Pentecost, God drew everyone together by giving the disciples different languages so everyone could understand what was being said. And what was being said was the gospel, the message of God's love and grace found in Jesus. So 3,000 people opened their lives to Jesus that day. The Holy Spirit drew them toward Jesus' goal, his goal that they would be one. They gathered together as one. Then at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 42, it says, speaking of these, this new church, all those disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It's one of my favorite passages. I love that picture of the early church. But it's a picture of them becoming one with God and one with each other. They devoted themselves, it says. In our uh, uh, U-version devotional that we were reading this week, it said devoted uh, in the Greek, the pictures of being glued together, stuck together with glue. So they devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In other words, they devoted themselves. They, They stuck like glue to being gathered as a church and waiting so that God could work. They devoted themselves to raising their voices in prayer and worship together so that their voices crossed over into heaven and they joined in with heaven's worship so that they could be open and receptive to all the new creation work that God wanted to do in and through them. Well, Jesus is eager to work in us in powerful ways, through us in powerful ways. He's eager to work in your life to bring you into more and more of his real freedom and life and purpose by making us one. You know, and he's eager to work through you. He's eager to work through this church. He wants to bring his new creation life through this church to the world. So I want to encourage you and urge you to wait, right? To wait expectantly, Wait by prayer and fasting. Wait by gathering to worship. Wait by filling your mind with the scriptures as we read Acts together. Wait by receiving that grace of God. Jesus' goal is that we'd be one and he works while we wait. Amen? Yeah.